be true to yourself, have good people around you, positive people. You, some of your best friends are not the people that you need to have around you in a business because they're the naysayers. They bring the depression around you. If you got, if somebody's going to help me do something, then I'm all for them being in my life. But if they're just there to tell me that I'm doing something wrong or whatever, I don't keep them around me very Hi, my name is Ellie Cody, and this is Manhattan Sideways. On this episode, recorded in January of 2019, we spoke with Don Martin, owner of Grandma's Place. Here's what Betsy Pallavi, founder of Manhattan Sideways, had to say about this business. I was walking on 120th Street just a few years back, enjoying looking at all the beautiful architecture in the townhouses and not expecting to come upon anything retail. I was with my husband when all of a sudden the two of us just stopped when we saw the sign that said Grandma's Place. My first reaction was, Grandma's Place? Well, I'm a grandma. I need to know what this is. Then I realized it was a bookstore, and I said, well, I owned a bookstore. So I absolutely was excited to step inside. I waited patiently while the gentleman there helped other customers, and then I explained who I was, and he said, well, hold on. You need to meet Grandma Dawn. And he called her, and a few minutes later, she walked over and explained to me that she lives literally next door. She had won her home in a lottery in the 1980s, and she invited us inside, where she sat down in her 100-year-old rocking chair and proceeded to tell us her life story. I was so taken by Grandma Dawn and thrilled that she was willing to share her story with all of you. So could we start by just having you introduce yourself and telling me the name of your business? Yes, my name is Dawn Harris-Martin. I'm the owner of Grandma's Place in Harlem. All right, and could you introduce your dogs who we may be hearing in the back? Yes, Spike <laughs> Lee, the three-and-a-half-pound overweight Yorkshire Terrier, <laughs> and Trevor, who is a multi-poop. Thank you very much. So could you tell me about your life leading up to opening your business? Yes. Well, um, where should I start? I was born and raised in Harlem, went to public schools here, um, went to Sarah Lawrence College um, and uh, with a Ford Foundation grant, and I got my uh, master's at uh, Columbia University Teachers College. But it was not a straight run. I graduated from Sarah Lawrence College when I was 30 years old, and I had two children uh, under five years old. Wow, that's a feat. That's amazing. So um, it's been a journey, a very wonderful journey, and I've learned a lot of things. And um, actually, when I was a young child, I never had toys. my mother was a single parent, and at Christmas time she bought clothes. And if you were lucky, you got fruit in your stockings or nuts. And so, in my twenties, when I got my first job as a draftswoman, I um, I I bought toys. I bought my first GI Joe, and <laughs> when I was twenty-one years old, and so uh, in the back of my mind, I always thought. You know, I would really like to own a toy store. 
but I never got, I never really thought it was going to happen. But a couple of things happened that um, kind of made it possible. The first thing was that I won a brownstone in the brownstone lottery. What year was that? 1984. Okay. 1984, I won a brownstone. And it was the first brownstone lottery. The Harlem was becoming run down and there were a lot of abandoned buildings and landlords were burning down the buildings to get insurance. And HPD, Housing Preservation and Development, stepped in and fixed up uh, 12 buildings and they had a lottery to, to get them to the right people. And you won one of them. And I won one. That was the first thing that I ever won and the last thing. I haven't won anything since then, and I never won anything before that It's a big thing to win. That's right. And for $5,000, I owned a shell. And HPD loaned me $140,000 to renovate it. And so I've been here ever since. Now, the other... 11 people, no, the other 10. There's 10 people that sold it immediately. You had to stay in it for three years and then they left. But Wayne Charles right next door to me and I, we kept these buildings. I figured if I ever got myself a piece of real estate, I was going to hold on to it. So that's why I'm here. And so um, a few years after I moved in, they... um, started renovating the buildings around that were they were abandoned on either side and across the street and so they um they renovated the store next door and i said to myself well i have the option of having a fish and chips joint next to my house or maybe i could put something in there and so i opened a literacy center wow yeah so for five years i had a literacy center and then they doubled the rent and I could not afford, and I was doing it out of pocket. And at the time, I was a public school teacher. So I, I knew that the parents that were coming into my classroom, that they were, that some of the parents did, could not read. They couldn't help their children. So I st- opened a literacy center to teach people to read. A woman was home, homeschooling kids, and she needed a place to be. So I partnered with her, and we homeschooled kids. And we taught people to read the Bible. So my, my, my t- students were from three to 73 years old. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Wow. And I still continue to do that. And I still see the people that come. So I've, been a, I've lived in Harlem all my life. And it is my community. I've seen it change around me. But there are still the people there, the heart of Harlem still exists. And I support that. And I look, I welcome change because the services are better. Um, I I don't feel as in danger as I'm walking the street. So there has been real positive change. But the fact that it is becoming gentrified is, is a plus and a minus. It's helpful for my store, but it's not helpful for the people that have been here all their lives who can't afford to stay. Mm-hmm. Do you think that there's anything that needs to be done to maintain the sort of core of the community? I think that affordable housing, to support affordable housing and not do lip service to that and to really have affordable housing for people that have been here and that want a piece of the action, they should be allowed 
you know, the lottery should continue. But of course, there are not very many abandoned buildings to be had. And, and, and all lots. There used to be vacant lots where you could put something up. But now every piece of real estate, every lot in, in Harlem is filled with a building. So, so that's going to be difficult. I noticed that they're working on one of the buildings across the street, though. That's good. Yes. That's good. They're always working on something. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when Betsy did her write-up on your store... Um, a couple years ago, she wrote that every time she's been into the shop, it seems like everybody is coming by just to get a hug from you. Yes. How did you sort of develop that position as the neighborhood grandma? I don't know. I It's just my normal thing that um, I like kids. I was a school teacher for 23 years. Before that, I, I taught in uh, Salem Community Service Council, you know, in the church. So I'm, I'm a Cancerian, so I'm a nurturer. So that's my, I, I love doing that. I wanna be, I'm Grandma Dawn to everybody in the neighborhood. But uh, I've been in the block in the neighborhood for 30 years, and it kind of grew up around me because those abandoned buildings that were empty on this block when I moved in are now full and with people. And the old people that were here, they are all gone and uh, new people. But as the people come in, the children come, the children grow up. Some of them come into my store and they're interns in my store. And they go on to do other things and go to college and have kids and bring their kids back. So I've seen that. And it's just a wonderful thing. That's awesome. Do you have a story about maybe one or two people who you've seen grow up or come back? Okay. Well, two, two doors down, the family, um, Les and Marina, and they have four children, three girls and a boy. And um, when they moved in, all of the children were small, like eight or nine. So the regular thing, they all went to private school. And every Saturday, one or the other have had a, either a play date or a birthday party. So they were always in the store. And so um, they got the family rate and the discount. And the son uh, came in and he uh, used to clean up and move garbage and break boxes down. And then he went to a college and they all ended up going to the same college. And Linda was the last uh, child and she came and she worked in the store and she went off to college. And now they're all grown people and they're living in the neighborhood. And I'm hopeful that, you know, they'll be bringing their children into the store. Mm -hmm. None of them have kids yet? Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> but um, my granddaughter, who's started in the store with me when she was six years old and she's 26 now. Some of her girlfriends came to the store and became quite passionate about the running of the store. And there's one, Nakisha Smith. She is an entrepreneur now. She sells things on, she sells toys, collectible toys online. And she does my mailing and shipping but it's an ongoing thing. You know, it's like the circle just gets wider and wider and wider. And I, that's a part that I love about it, you know. 
So I want to quickly describe what I saw when I walked into your store. Um, I, when you walk in the door, there's a tower of puppets right to your right. Yes. And then there are bookshelves to the left and right. Yes. And then as you go back, there are more toys and I saw some art supplies. Can you tell me about how you curate the items that you carry in the store? Well, I, I have to tell you that when I started with this business of owning a toy store. First, it was a literacy center and it had 25,000 volumes of books. I have in my brownstones, uh, maybe 75,000 volumes of books. I have three libraries. I have a children's library in one room. I have my professional library in my bedroom. And then down here, it's like a parenting library with um, all kinds of cookbooks and all kinds of things. So. I had all of these books. And so when I went into the store, the literacy center, I took the books into the literacy center. And so when they doubled, after five years, they doubled my rent and I started selling off the books and people were not buying books. So I started introducing, and I was teaching at this time, so I started introducing toys and the toys kind of took over, but I had built up a, a following of having the best multicultural books in the city. And people would come from Jersey and Brooklyn and, and places to get black books because they do not reprint our books often. Very few uh, black books or multicultural books are reprinted. So they would come here because I sent it to uh, Canada to get the books that I have in the store. So that's how I um, you know, came to have a book and toy store. I'm very proud of the selection of books that I have because often our books are not um, reprinted. And so when there's a good book, I make sure that it's always there. And there's quite um, a lot of public schools in the neighborhoods, and the teachers know that they can come to my shop and get the kinds of books that they need for their classroom. And um, the, uh, the principals of several schools in the neighborhood are friends of mine. In fact, some of them were my mentees. And so now they're principals. And I always have a teacher's recognition day here at the, uh, at the house. And I take classes and I ask them to send me the children that do not like to read or having difficulty reading so that I could turn them on to reading. What do you do? How do you do it? What I do is inside my, my children's library, there are toys, games, and books, and books that um, like klutz books where you actually make things with the Those book are fun. and you have to read the instructions in order to do it. And so they're in there and we're, they're reading and constructing things or whatever, but they come in and they, they are allowed to pick any book, any game, any toy that they want to and they, they play for an hour or so. And so, you know, they come to know that books are fun and there's no, no pressure. And for the kids that really have trouble reading, I have wordless picture books. So all they do is look at the pictures and tell me the story. So they feel very successful about that. 
And then I introduce them to books that have maybe one or two words on the page. And so they move from one or two words on the page to maybe five words on the page until eventually they're reading a page and I'm reading a page. And then I give them a Ziploc bag and they can borrow one or two books and they have to go home and they have to read that book to at least two or three people. So it, it really works. And I have kids now that are really readers. And then the other thing is they are allowed to find out the kind of books that they like to read. There's, a, there's a, at least uh, 50,000 volumes of books in there. And so they go in there and they look. So that's, that's amazing. Yes. I have to say, so my mom managed a bookstore in Baltimore for a long time, a children's bookstore. Um, and I know how hard it can be to get the out-of-print books. So yes. I think it's really special that you put the effort in to get them because it's really hard. And Betsy, I'm sure, knows too because Betsy also owned yes, a children's bookstore. Yes. Um, and it's, yeah, it is, it's amazing the books that, you know, whoever whoever's up there decides are not going to be reprinted. And yes. it's just, yes. it's so sad, but, it is. but it's so special when you can offer, especially to the teachers so that more students have access Absolutely. to it. Absolutely. Um, that's really special. Yeah. Um, I have a, I have Spike on my lap here. He's, yes. he's looking over to see you. <laughs> Where, where'd Don go? Um, so, I also just to to prompt a little bit. I saw that last time Betsy was in the shop, you spoke to her a little bit about, or maybe a lot <laughs> about um, the way that you see your role in the community again. And you said that you see yourself as something of a conduit, um, yes. and and that you you see it as a responsibility of yours to make make it so that black parents can feel that they are equipped to raise their kids and it's Absolutely. okay if something comes up and you yes. know it doesn't mean that they should be giving up um what are so along with the the books that you carry which i think really right. helps what are right. some of the other ways that well, you see yourself doing that i um i haven't done it this year but i usually i have book, book groups and um the, the, the parents, the moms, main, mainly the moms, but sometimes I get a few dads, but the moms, we have a, a, a reading group. And the, the best way to get a kid reading is to get see the mom or see the, somebody in the family reading. So I get the, the mothers hooked on books like from J. California Cooper, all the black lady authors that they could identify with and the, the struggles that they have. And I always find... J. California Cooper is one of my first uh, authors that I introduce parents to because the parents, the, the, the heroines in the books always overcome really insurmountable odds. And at the end, they have, they've overcome. And so, and they're short stories. So they're, they don't, they're not looking at reading a 300-page a book. It's maybe a 24-page thing and that we could discuss the uh, thing. So I get them hooked on J. California Cooper, and then I start sliding uh, Zora Neale Hurston and mm -hmm. all the other uh, authors into them. And so the parents are reading. And when they uh, read, the kids see them reading, and then the parent gets a book for the child, and they get to pick a book for, to take home for their children. 
So, and sometimes I, ha- I now started the, the reading group for, the, for kids, so the eight-year-olds, seven and eight-year-olds. And um, that's very interesting. How many kids do you have in the reading group? Well, uh, when the last reading group I had, I had I started with eight and I ended up with six that came regularly. Okay. But um, you know, right. I have a dollhouse here, so uh-huh. they have the they 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 read, they play with the dollhouse, they have they talk, they comb the dolls' hair, they build things, you know, and say have a good time. And recently, I had a woman come in and she was promoting um, etiquette, so we had tea parties. Ah yes, and so that was yes, that was a hoot, and uh, we had it out on the deck, and it was all very nice. So you know, yes, I am a conduit in the neighborhood because it just happened that way. If I know that there's a youngster, teenager that looking towards, um, you know, I I arrange internships and kind of places like uh, for kids interested in electronics. I make sure that if I know somebody in the neighborhood that can he can shadow or she can shadow that of somebody that likes to cook, I hook them up with somebody that I know that needs somebody to help. Right now, Nikisha Smith, the same Nikisha Smith, is making uh, the handmade cards. So Nina, who makes the handmade cards, I'm buying so many from her, she can't make them. And so Nikisha is goes on Wednesdays to help her make the cards to sell to me. So all of the kids in the, I try to hook up the kids and the people in the neighborhood with each other. Sometimes they just don't know, but when people come in the store and they talk to me, I know exactly who they are and what they are doing. And if I can call somebody up to hook somebody together, that's what I do. If there were someone listening, a young person listening, who didn't have the chance to come to you directly and have you hook them up with somebody, what would be your advice for a young person looking to go out into the world and be successful? Well, the one thing is I would read, first off. And um, now that we have all of these great search engines and things like that, if you become an expert in something, choose something that you really want to do or are interested in and read about it and learn as much as you can about it. And if there's somebody that you know that's doing that, ask them about it and, you know, kind of find yourself a mentor Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, and be loyal to it and, and really pursue it and then teach it to someone. So that that was my thing in my second grade classroom. Everybody, everybody became an expert in something. And then it was their turn to share that or teach someone else in the classroom that particular skill. That fits with that age group, too. It's great to start that young because they are inclined to do that. You know, they they my um, niece is in second grade right now and her current interest is um, sewing. She's really interested in sewing. Before that, it was dinosaurs, but it fed nicely into sewing somehow. Um, Uh (laughs) And she's, she, every time she comes over to my house, she's, you know, showing me how to thread a needle and, and the way that she communicates that with me is so special that it really gets her, gets her excited to like keep learning. Yes. Um, And everybody, everybody wins. When I paired someone up in the classroom that that knows math or whatever, and this other person is struggling, 
the person that's teaching the other one really feels good about themselves and the child does not feel like she's dumb or whatever, that she's really learning something. And then she gets an opportunity to share some, her, one of her skills with them. So it's a win-win situation, really. So you definitely practiced what you now preach when you were younger in that I think that when you learned about things in books, you wanted to go off and do yes. them. Can yes. you can you first tell me about how you found books when you were little? Where did you okay. get them? Well, and then what happened? Well, my sister is five years older than I was. And my mother, as I said, was a single mother. And she had two jobs. Actually, she had three but on two jobs during the week, two full-time jobs. And so oh it was my sister's um, responsibility when I started school to pick me up after school and bring me home and babysit with me. And my sister, who at the time was like 10 or 11 years old, who wanted a life, took me to the local library on 114th Street and... Um, and left me in the children's section of the library. So I read every book in the children in the library. And then the librarians knew me and they let me go into the adult section and I was in there. And I became a regular customer in the library. And that's how I learned to love books. But I would read things about places or things to do. And I was just very curious about it. And so as I got older and, and started, you know, going out into the world, if I, I decided I wanted to learn how to ski. So I went to one of these places. It was $59 for the weekend to go ski, and I learned how to ski. You know, I, I, the thing is, the fact that I didn't have a parent at home, I was my own parent. And I, I watched TV and I read. I learned all the things that I needed to know from books and watching things on TV. And I, I really didn't feel deprived or anything. I just felt like um, I could do it. And so I wanted to travel and I went to St. Thomas and fell in love with St. Thomas. And um, it was the first place that I saw that the, the entire culture was of color, that the policemen were in color, in, of color, the judges, the people in the shops and the drivers and whatnot, and I stayed. I went for a, a vacation and I never came back. I was there for two years. My mother had to come and find me. You know, I mean, I, I, I corresponded with my mother and whatnot, but she knew that I was just, you know, a crazy person, so she just <laughs> left me alone. But that's what I did. You know, I, I experienced things. I learned about things and I experienced things and things that, I, that caught my attention. And it was through books. So that books were my parents mm -hmm. when I was um, coming up. Mm -hmm. When I started reading Robert Heinlein and I started reading the science fiction, not the spooky, scary kind, but the, the, the you know, the real, Robert Heinlein was my favorite. And um, what other things? Pearl Buck. I loved all of Pearl Buck's stories. And that I got into the habit of, when I liked an author, I wanted to read every book and everything that that author ever read, you know, written. So that's what I do. 
So um, Zora Neale Hurston, I loved. Uh, Maya Angelou, some of her stuff, but mostly I'm trying to think of Marita Golden. Uh, God, I could just, I could see everybody, to, you know. But I like reading and I can read. When I was younger, I would read three books a weekend. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, I would read three complete novels. And as you can see, I, I mean, I still have some of the books that I had from a child that when you open the pages, the pages just crumble, but it's just a, something that I have to have around me. Did you have any specific um, characters from books that you really looked up to? Um, not really, not really. It was just the idea that, well, I, from one book, I can't remember the name of the book, but I got the, this the idea of creative visualization. And I got that real early on, about 14 or 15 years old. And I practiced that. And it really, for me, it really worked. Like I saw myself doing something, going somewhere, being something, and that's what happened, you know? And I can also say that I've been very, very lucky because, you know, life is, was not always kind. And a couple of times I could have possibly been killed. And just through the luck of the draw, I survived. And so, you know, I just, so I convinced myself that I was blessed and I had a, spe a special uh, angel that was taking care of me. And I always made sure that I did not offend anybody or do anything horrible to bring karma, bad karma on myself. And so I tell people that um, I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing this to, to, to make sure I get into heaven. But it's really, you do the right thing or you take yourself out of the situation and look at what the right thing is to do and you try to do the right thing. And sometimes, so most of the time it works out. Sometimes people take advantage of you, but most of the time, and my kids hate me when I, when I do that. Like someone has been known to do, you know, like to take me, you know, take me for some money and they, and I still deal with them. And they say, why do you do that? You know that this person is on, I said, that person was in a particular spot that at that point they needed this and I gave it to them. And I've never got it back, but I don't need to get it back because a lot has been given to me. So it kind of evens itself out. So um, Dawn, I would love to hear a little bit more about some of the um, picture books and illustrators that you carry in, in the store. Can you tell me about some of the people who have influenced you? Yes, well, Ezra Jack Keats, when um, my second graders loved Ezra Jack Keats and the fact that Peter grew up, that he was a baby and then he grew up and then he had a little uh, sister and he was jealous of the sister so they could actually see this character getting older.
I'd like to shift gears for a little bit and talk about what it's been like to own a business and what are some of the pitfalls that you've experienced and the best parts of owning a business and what are some things that you would recommend for people who want to own a business or who already do own businesses? Well, first I would like to say that I've been in business for 20 years and that's a pretty tall feat given the neighborhood and the economy. And had it not been for the Board of Education, which subsidized, you know, that I used my teacher's salary to subsidize the store, I would not have been in business. I would have been out of business maybe the fourth or fifth year. And I did not know anything about a business, running a business. And I took a Weibo course, which is called Workshops in Business Opportunities, in my fourth year of opening this store and found out, and it was a 16-week course where you you developed a business plan and each week it was a different phase of of the business, I found out in week six that I shouldn't have opened the store <laughs> because it said, never use your own money. There were, there were all kinds of caveats and I broke every one of them and knowing about pricing and marketing and whatnot. So I would say to anyone, before you go into the business, I mean, first off, follow your dream. There are always gonna be naysayers that tell you, don't do it. I have never listened to a living soul in my life if I'm really set on doing something. But I learned, but you have to learn from your experience. What I know now, in my 20th year of doing this, I know a hell of a lot, but I learned it on the job and by making the mistakes. The first year I, I opened a toy store, I went to the toy fair and I bought every toy that I loved, that I always wanted in my life and brought it and put it in the store. One year later, three quarters of the toys were still sitting there. And I didn't understand that you it's, it's a supply and demand. Mm-hmm. But as that year went on, as people asked for certain things, I got certain things and I started moving that around. So take workshops. You know, the, uh, in, in Harlem, there's the Harlem Business Alliance. There's, um, there's the thing for old people. I can't think of the name of it. But there are lots of people out here wanting to give you help. And you have to be honest about it, and you have to attend. Right now, the uh, Harlem Business Alliance is having a workshop on entrepreneurship for women. Now, I'm in my 20th year, and I'm over there now doing the same thing, looking at marketing and sales and those things. Now, I have identified now the things that I know that I need help in. Before, when I started, I didn't know I needed help, but now I knew, I know. So take advantage of the things that are people are offering you and do your homework. This this place, you just don't go in there and let this this stuff pour down over you. I mean, when they give you homework assignments and when they ask you to to, to look at your business and do certain things in there, you go in there and you do it because that's how you learn what it is that you need to know. Pricing is another thing. I mean, when I opened the store, people were not having a lot of money. So I didn't try to gouge anybody as far as the toys. My thing was, if a toy costs something, I doubled it. 
Now, when I doubled it, that took in the brick and mortar, the rent for the store, the employees, the employee benefits, and the toys. So I wasn't making a lot of profit, but people were coming in because when they'd say, your prices are fair. So you have to keep your prices fair, yep. but you have to make sure that you price the thing so that you make money. Mm -hmm. And you and the budget, and the other thing is to have a budget for what it is and keep track do your own homework, keep track. If you have an accountant, if you have people that do these things, you don't hand it over to them. You say, this is your job, and my job is to supervise them and to make sure they're doing what they have to do. Every morning of my life, I wake up at 4.44 in the morning, and I don't get out of bed. I lay in bed, and I plan my day. I plan what should happen who I should talk to, what things I should follow. And then when I get out of bed, when I'm having breakfast, I jot down what I'm going to talk about and to who I'm going to talk about. And, you know, I keep rolling. But it's owning a business is a 24-hour job. When you're not sleeping, everything revolves around the business. And I can't say that all of the time, the 20 years, I could say when I was with the Board of Ed and I had the store open, I delegated a lot of stuff and a lot of stuff went on there that probably shouldn't have gone on. And people got very um, um, secure in what they were doing. I had a guy that was running a business out of my, out of my business. He, he was selling toys and dolls and stuff that he had collected through the years and he kept it behind the curtain. And, and when you didn't know about it, huh? No, Did, I didn't know about it. And, and like people would come in there and he said, I got a doll with the blah, 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 blah. And he said, oh, my God, really? And he said, yeah. And he would sell it. You know, I didn't know. And then when I decided that I was going to clean out behind the counter and found all these things, I said, well, what is all of this? And then they said, oh, this is so what? I said, okay. So he still works for me, but he doesn't do that anymore because mm -hmm. it's not a lot. I never said to him, you can't do that. This is my own um style. I like to lead from behind. I like to give people the opportunity to develop and think for themselves. And we have conversations. And if it, if it sounds like a good idea, I'll go for it. And if I don't think it's a good idea, I'll shoot it down. But I give them that opportunity when they're in that store, they're on the front line. And they have a lot to say. And it's a cross-section of Elderly people to younger. I have 22-year-old, 26-year-old, and I have a 70-year-old. And I have people in between a 30-year-old and a 60-year-old. Everybody comes with their own ideas, and I value them. I listen to them, and then I make a, I make a decision about it. But, uh, you know, I, I don't like to say, well, this, I'm the owner, and I'm in charge, and this is what you're going to do. And if you can't do it that way, I'm always open to, to, to hear somebody because... Some people have some really great ideas. So, did I answer your question? That was a whole, listen. A dream my whole and a life. That's right. That's <laughs> all it was. You know, nobody told me that I couldn't do this. Thank God. Oh, I'm saying that, like, not having a parent to say to me, you know, you can't do this. Whatever I thought about, I tried. You know, I mean, 
when I, I rationalized, like my mom was, my mom was a domestic. My mom went out and cleaned offices and cleaned houses for a living. And she came home and anything I did, she, she marveled, you know, you got on a plane and you went where, you know, she lived through me, you know what I mean? So, you know, but it's true. It's true. But six weeks, six years into it, I, and when they started talking about not using your, your, your money, use other people's money and this, that, you know, I've never done that. I've always used my own money. That's what it is. And you're turning 80 this year, right? 80. Now? July 15th, I'll be 80 wow. years old. And what are your plans going forward? Um, I am taking this course over there. I'm, I'm planning on closing in the deck part of this right there and um, expanding my, my build my business from next door. Like having um, children's um, mommy and me workshops on, on the weekends, like with kids painting or doing kinds of things. And mm -hmm. uh, there's a very brilliant science teacher that does science stuff, uh, STEM stuff to come in in the weekends and work here, you know, and change this all around have cooking classes with the little kids here. They're going to be doing literacy, going to be doing read, uh, reading, readings in the, in the library, just to surround myself and keep myself active. Yeah. It, sounds, it sounds like you're the best person who could possibly have won this brownstone. Yes, because I have no intentions of giving it up and selling it or doing it. I, I love it, and I treat it like I love it. I take care of it. it on its birthday, I always do something for it. You know, so I think houses can feel love. Yes, well, this one definitely feels love. And people, oh, the other thing that I do, I I gather my friends here on a regular basis, like every Thursday or every other Thursday. We cook food, we sit around, we talk, we have ideas about things. We encourage each other in in whatever uh, endeavors that they want to do. And these people are in their 40s. Uh, Nikisha Smith and Ja Turner, who is 30. Nikisha is 26 and Ja is 30. Those are the only two that are younger than that. But they're included because I want them to see and be a part of this whole thing. But, you know, we sit around. They're professors. They're provosts. Um, you know, one guy is 84 years old. And there's a 95-year-old pharmacist that's still working. Wow. Okay. Uh, do you Winsor. know the name of the pharmacy? A Sunshine Pharmacy. Sunshine Pharmacy. Yes. And he, he works there and he goes there four days a week. Wow. You know. I aspire to that. Yes. I hope, I, I hope I'm still, you know, working and active that's at right. 95. That's so great. So that, that's what it's all about. That's the, that's the good part of this whole thing, yeah. being able to, to live your own life, you know, plan your own day. Plan, make your own plan, work your own plan. Mm -hmm. um, so Betsy also always likes to ask if there's anything about your business that you would like to share that you feel hasn't been shared or isn't known. About my business. Or about, it could be well, about yourself too. Well, my business, my business is about the people that work there. Of all the reviews that I have, about my business, Yelp and all of these other things, they always say that the staff is wonderful and helpful and, you know, upbeat and that we don't. And I, 
I say to my staff, I don't like upselling. I don't like you selling people. I want them to come in and feel that they are buying for what they want to buy. And, and that's what, it, and it's a very, uh, you know, tightrope of recommending things to people and letting them make up their own choices. Mm -hmm. But, but the, the staff is very important and they're all good at what they did, they do. And they didn't come in with that knowledge. They learned it on the job. They came in with some sales experience, but my idea about toning them down and making sure that they're there, that the people leave with a good experience, uh, really makes a difference. And they're all really, really top rate people. On the topic of welcoming people into your store, I know from my mom's experience working in an independent bookstore mm -hmm. that recently it's been really hard to get people to purchase whatever they're looking at in the store from they that go store. Out, go they, out, they go and go online. They want to go online. They want to go order it from Amazon. They want to order it, you know, yes. wherever they can get the biggest yes. discount or, you know, they people don't necessarily put a lot of weight on buying from the place where they mm -hmm. learned about whatever mm -hmm. it is that they're looking at. Yes. Um, has that been something that you've noticed and is how yes, do you handle I, that? I noticed it. I had some dolls and uh, a woman came in and she said, oh, I can get that from Target. I can get that doll from Target. I said, you're entitled to get that from Target. You know, if you can find the Target that has it and, you know, and we went online and the Target was out of stock. It was, you know, it, I said, did you go online with her? Yes. Yes. And I've done that. If somebody comes in there looking for something and um, it's, I call it fulfillment, you know, I, I'm looking for a cabbage patch doll or I'm looking for something like that. And we go online and most likely Amazon has everything and we see whatever it is and say, you know, good. They've got it. Get it. But what I have so many things in there that, if they don't buy that doll, there's something else that catches their eyes. Like I have a classic section, classic toy section, also classic book section, where people come in to buy jacks and yo-yos and things from an etch-a-sketch and things from their past that they want to show their kids or whatever. I just bought my niece's etch-a-sketches for yes. Christmas. That was what yes. I wanted to get them. Yes. So, you know... They might not, they may come in there looking for Barbie or something else like that, but they're going to see something else in there that they haven't seen before, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So, and, and the other thing about people said, oh, a Toys R Us clothes, you must be cleaning up. I said, you know what? I never competed with Toys R Us or Target or Walmart. I said, what Toys R Us buys their toys, you know, for, I have to buy the toys for that price. So I can't sell them for, for $10 because I, I, I buy them for $10. I said, but at least if this is not what you want, you can return it. You get it wrapped. It's gift wrapped. And there'll be other things in here for you to buy. Mm -hmm. So I encourage, you know, mm -hmm. but I've never competed with Target uh, or, or, or Toys R Us. Because I couldn't, I could never compete with them. They, they the prices are just out of, mm -hmm. out just beyond me. Mm -hmm. So, but what people are paying for with you is so much more than just right. the object, and it's you know Absolutely. the 
curating that you put into the space and all the love that you give back to the community. And the stuff that I buy, everything that is in there, I handpick. There are many things, you know, when I go to Toy Fair, I spend five days looking at everything. And then I bring home maybe 50 catalogs and I go through the catalogs and I, after I've flag what I flag, I get let and I take my my staff to the toy fair and I let them run around and we have a meeting. And then I get some of the toys and I bring the kids in the neighborhoods and let them try the toys out and say, which one of these things? So it's like I, I got 600 square feet. I can't, there's thousands of things. I can't but this is learning from the time that I went and bought all of the things that I liked and ended up with them. Now I see what's like the big thing in my store now is slime. Oh yeah. They've got glow in the dark slime. They got glitter slime. They got slime that looks like poop. Mm-hmm. And the kids love it. They love it. And that would be the last thing in the world that I would carry <laughs> in there. I have six different kinds of slime in there now yeah. because the kids want that. Yeah. It's kind of like a parent's nightmare because it's everywhere. It's so messy. It's like, you know, it's supposed, it cleans up, but it's like everywhere. But all the kids, yeah, all the kids I know who are anywhere near the age that could possibly be interested in slime are totally over the moon for it. Absolutely. Yeah. That's. And the other thing is that um, LOL of an egg. And you open the egg and you don't know what's in there, but it's something, a little critter in there with all little kinds of pieces and Mm -hmm. whatnot. And the kids are buying them sight on the scene and then they, they buy three or four of them and then they just start collecting them. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't carry that at one point in time, mm-hmm. but I, I've car- I carry that now mm-hmm. because the kids like it. Mm-hmm. That's know? how people used to feel about like going to McDonald's, you know, and they'd give you the little toy in the bag yes. or like the little toys that came in cereal boxes. Yes. That was always so fun. Yes. And yes. I don't know. I mean, Remember McDonald's. Cracker Jacks? Was, yeah. yeah. Heck yeah. 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 McDonald's toys used to be really exciting. I feel like yeah. now they're... I guess maybe they're still exciting for little kids, but I don't know. Do they still give away? I don't know if they even do. They definitely did when I was little. Okay, I I don't even know because I, you know, I used to take. I would take my kids to to McDonald's like once a year. The rest of the time, I would make McDonald's. Like I would cut the fries real thin, and I would make the nutritious hamburger, so I knew what was in the hamburger because. When I gave my kids a hamburger, they got the trots. So I said, there's something in there that's not any good for them. So I would get my own ground beef and I would make my own hamburgers. And I'd say, it's like McDonald's. Yeah. You know? But <laughs> Don's McDonald's. Yes. Better. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That could be your next business. Hey, food service, I'm not touching. <laughs> I'm not going anywhere near. Thanks so much for listening. My name is Ellie Cody, and this has been Manhattan Sideways. If you'd like to learn more about this particular business or to discover and read about thousands of other fascinating small businesses on the side streets of Manhattan, please visit our website, sideways.nyc, and of course, follow us on Instagram and Facebook, at NYSideways. <laughs>